everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. I'm happy to have Dr. Jeremy Clark here with me today to discuss much of the growing confusion, chaos, and dis-ease that we're having to experience, to live with, to navigate, to process in a number of different fields. And I know you have a big story, and we touched on it a little bit before we began recording, and certainly you mentioned two things that you decided early on, and that is that it was imperative to live beyond pretense. Mm-hmm. And to basically heal the hemorrhaging heart of a generation, specifically as it was manifesting and playing out in the church. Come to find out, our paths have crossed for many, 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 many years. Yes. Yeah, all the way back to Evie Free Fullerton. It seems like I I follow you right after you leave. So you had left Evie Free. I had just come on staff and then... And then years later at a church in San Clemente. It's funny. Yeah. Jeremy, I'm thankful that you were willing and able to come and have a brief conversation with me because there is so much confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in every sphere of government from people's capacity to individually self-govern to the family, which is a primary sphere of government, to the church institutions of faith. And then, of course, we see the crazy confusion, chaos, and disease that's happening in our national government and certainly in the world. So I know you're uniquely qualified to speak to these things pertaining to yourself and the church specifically. Well, and not to mention to be a white male at 52 years old and the challenges of, you know, the woke culture. And so institutions and any places of where you gather people, there's going to be conflict, there are going to be issues. So I've, I've spent a lifetime of leading and serving in different communities and trying to figure out how you best do that. And I think at this day and this time and this age, I keep going back to, I can't change anybody, Mm-mm. but I can change. That's right. Just briefly, what were some of the personal challenges that you knew you needed to live with a measure of integrity? Well, it's, it's interesting. As a pastor, you know who you should be. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, pray without ceasing. You know who you should be. So every Sunday when you show up to church, you know who you should be, but draw a line down from the, the circle of who you should be down to who I am. And the distance between those two circles is the sanctification gap that causes a lot of pastors to fake it. Human beings too, don't you think? Oh, Companies, e- everyone, yeah. hot wives, husbands, children, families, we see this everywhere. But in the institution of the church, for sure. Right, and if I'm exposed, and, and again, in real life, in in systems of leadership, if I'm found out, if I'm discovered that I have struggles and I struggle, my my I don't have a perfect marriage, and we fight. One time, we fought the whole way to church on on a Sunday morning, and again, it's like, well, 
I still have to go and teach. I, I still have a job to do. And so when you talk about, you know, internally knowing that you don't measure up, you teach things that you haven't perfected. You, you are in a position always you're helping others to walk along, but you haven't necessarily figured these things out. Yeah, but you're are, just yelling at each other in the car and you get out of the car and you're telling yeah. everybody else. How to, yeah. 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 But you are expected to teach things and to provide guidance. And the truth is God's standard is, is a very tall one. And we do our best as we're continuing to grow into be the men and women God has called well, us to Well, it be. is. And, and I want to address that for a minute because the standard that we call God's standard or people just, I guess they frown on yeah. the idea of this God that's sitting high and lifted up. But the reality is the standard of God is one to sustain life, mm-hmm. advance freedom, protect liberty. The entire universe, the universe and everything in it is fine-tuned to sustain life. Right. So what that requires is authenticity, integrity, and a measure of compliance with the laws that govern and sustain the fine-tuning of life. For example, you're talking about the car. Well, when you're yelling at each other, first of all, you're both feeling convicted because you know you could handle things better and you're both totally reactive. Right. But when you get out of the car and go in, you realize, gosh, at the end of the day, you just violated your conscience, right? right? And this little word that we all hate and I think most people don't understand is this violation of conscience. I just violated my conscience. That's really why I feel like crap right now. And the reason that's an offense to God is because it diminishes you. Right. It affects you. It tears you down. It diminishes the light, the life, the liberty, everything that is necessary to sustain your life. It diminishes it. And that's what's an offense yeah. to a creator God that sustains everything. And there's laws of nature, things that are self-evident that right. speak to that fine-tuning, right? right? So when you were talking about that, it just, we're saying the same thing, but I want to explain it to people in a vernacular that they can understand. The reason sin is an offense to a God that created everything for his pleasure is because it diminishes us, it diminishes our life, and it erodes us, our health, emotional, spiritual, physical health, if we don't stop it. Right, right. And turn, right? Think about what we just did and turn. Right, well, the scriptures say that God has put his boundaries in pleasant places, and they're for our good. Their, his boundaries help us advance and to accelerate and to live the life. And we talk about freedom in Christ. So this dynamic of, I think at times our own systems that we look at, we implement in our own personal daily, we try to measure ourselves against our own standards that not necessarily are God's standards and you probably have seen this. But we make them up ourselves. Well, right, right. sometimes the church can be one of those things. Exactly. And that's where I was going because we we building these systems and we go, I'm better than some, worse than others. And, I, and we're always measuring ourselves and, and we put these standards on ourselves that, you know, God just wants us to walk with him and to enjoy him. And those dynamics of, you know, I'm just disappointing God. God does have standards for us. He wants us to delight in him, his word and his people and to grow. But when we talk about 
understanding ourselves and being vulnerable and transparent, there's a lot of um, risk there to be our true selves with somebody. Can we vulnerability, know? humility, major sensitivities, major, right? Major risk just in a personal relationship, let alone in a leadership position. And which is where you found yourself for right. 20 years, 27 years 27 leading. Years. And now I continue. I, I lead a, a team of lots and lots of leaders, 200 plus leaders. And I need to lead vulnerably. I need to be an example to, and I think. Well, we're not humbled till we face our own depravity. Yeah. And again, going back to the conversation, the exchange you had with your wife on the way to church. That's so common for all of us, right? Whether we're going to a party, whether we're going to church, whether we're going to an important meeting or a wedding. And at the end of the day, we're all so deeply conflicted within ourselves about so many things. Sometimes we don't talk about that when we come together within the safety of our partner or within the safety of the relationship we have with our children, they see the real raw, core, broken, unreconciled part of us. But at the end of the day, if we can't come clean Mm -hmm. and live with a measure of honesty about those conflicts we have within ourselves, not just with our spouses and our children, but in the teaching position you had, in the leadership position you have, then it doesn't make the people that you're leading or the people you're around trust you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the fracture that's happened in the church. I don't think we've left with them. We've, you've, not to be disrespectful, right. but I don't think the church for, for in the last 20, 30 years overall, not everybody, of course, right. but has been led with a measure of integrity that's necessary for our kids to want to follow suit with what they're seeing us do. I think it's riddled with hypocrisy right. and brokenness because people and pastors, with all due respect, don't have a measure of transparency about their own struggles right making it difficult for the church to be the hospital it was intended to be not a country club right no i i fully agree and it's interesting uh, we talked about some of this beforehand it wasn't until i stepped out of the church and i I had my misgivings in the church as a leader i could see because again i can see behind the curtain and oftentimes you know, these systems fail us and leaders fail us and we get disillusioned and people... we And organizations fail us, yeah. And we put people on a pedestal. We want them to, to be respectable and the, the people... And sometimes we build it up in our minds, but the reality is they're no different than us. When a leader falls or when a system fails us, and it, you could say a church system... And, well, it's this fear of government. When the and, government of yeah. the church or the family or civil government fails us, what? Well, we... We get disillusioned. So now there are uh, huge denominations where information is being uncovered that they knew things and covered up things. And so, I, again, how are we going to betrayal? Stand up? Right. And how are we going to stand up and, and own the sins of our past and the failures of church and leadership in ways in which we can move forward with a greater, trustworthy opportunity? to speak into the lives of the next generation. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah. I had a conversation with my son who moved to New York and he's certainly questioning and reasoning and processing a lot of things he saw and he's experienced. And we lived through a horrific church split. You and I discussed it. It was like a divorce. It was painful. It was terrible. And at the end of the day, 
it's not just my son, mm-hmm. but many, many, many young men in their 20s, in their teens and in their 20s, 30s, they don't want to go back to church. They saw the fractures, they saw the brokenness, they saw the hypocrisy, they saw the programs, the systems, and by the way, a lot of good intentions went into many, many of those organizations and those programs, and I see that. But the church became so focused on evangelism that I think we abandoned the call of discipleship or the call to disciple. And I think it wounded the hearts and the souls and the minds, if you will, of that generation and of our children in ways that shocked me personally, because I think we were part of doing all the right things. Right. And starting the right programs. Right. Helping out, participating, serving. Yeah. We didn't realize that our kids were involved with the front lines of a civil war of values that was upon us. And somehow we thought everything we did with the best intentions was going to be enough. And it wasn't because it didn't account for the spiritual warfare and the spiritual constitution of the very things that were assaulting not just the church but the government, the families, and their young lives. And I wonder what your thoughts are about that. There's a great book called The Trellis and the Vine. And the author goes on to just describe that so often churches and institutions, they they focus on the trellis. The trellis, it's we need to paint the trellis. We need to get a bigger trellis. We need to move. And so much focus, even in church, from one church to the next, it's how much money is going to, keep the lights on and, and just maintain these buildings versus the trellis work, the, the vine work of, of cultivating oh. disciples, watering souls and, and, and pouring into the next generation. And, and dealing with their fear, right. their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their passions, their confusion about the totally. conflict between what you're saying and what you're teaching and how you're living. And being close enough to them to allow them to ask the deep, questions that they're wrestling with and and if you want to get you know historical when you talk about all these programs you just mentioned parents and even the church structure basically just sent the kids off to another program away from the adults to to play and to do youth programs and ministry and camps and things and a lot of those things could be great to help us foster a spiritual life but oftentimes it fell short and it was more like a just a YMCA. Entertainment. It's like throwing this big party and inviting everyone to come, but really not honoring the purpose and the meaning behind why right. you're throwing the party in the first place. Right. And I think there's been a breach of trust, frankly, with a lot of kids and a lot of people that do believe in God. And of course, they see the evil. They see the darkness that is upon us. They see the conflict. They see the confusion. They see the dis-ease. But frankly, there's been a breach of trust. So where do you go? Forget it. I'll find my own way. Because I did trust. I did believe this. But I see so many fractures and I see so much brokenness. And I see the hypocrisy in the right. life of believers and I don't have anywhere to go. So and I'm how do being, we Right. And I'm being asked for my money and, and I I've got this these big systems and what what is this really all about? And is it life changing? Is it life giving? And I'm being asked for my trust, my devotion, right. my confidence. And I don't even think the money's a big thing anymore. 
people don't even want to go waste their time. time. Yeah, time is is so critical. And you want to talk about John Eldridge began writing about this as a man within the church, feeling like there's no adventure in the church. It's just come sit and take a seat and sing songs that feel like, you know, I, I want to have Jesus as my boyfriend and, and guys just check out. They go, where, where's Wild the adventure in that? Wild at heart. Where Where is God in this? And It's the, not even a biblical view of God or Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's inaccurate. It's a false doctrine, frankly. My son asked me this great question. How do you go about building trust? Mm-hmm. The question came out during the course of our conversation. And it's not like I need you to answer it, Mom. But think about it. How do you begin to build trust? So It starts by being, first of all, trustworthy. Right. It's just... So the burden, start, I think, is on us. It is. It starts with being trustworthy. And, and those who want to transform communities and build the church, and from the very point that they go to a parking lot and the people that they encounter every aspect of it there's this trustworthy sense of what we're about what we're doing is all transparent above board and has integrity and we're not hiding things and we're and we're not saying one thing and living correct another way correct because we run away from that so quickly and so so does this next generation and and so it is on us and how are we going to change and encourage but back to what i was yeah, because you got your PhD in discipleship, in caring, and building, and helping heal and restore. In so, discipleship and community, and and how you we're intended to grow with one another and to bear one another's burdens and do the love the the one another's where we're loving each other and nurturing faith and life together in in community and this theological work that I did was based on the four Greek words associated with discipleship. In the New Testament. And let, let me just tell you, the word that blew me away was akulutheo. And it's it's a Greek word that Jesus used to say, follow me. When the early disciples dropped their nets and followed Jesus, it was a command and it was an invitation. And for me, I see the church for what it is. And it's, uh, until I die, I'm going to follow Christ now, the church is God's plan to bless and be a blessing and to, to disciple and grow in healthy, vibrant communities to change the world. And it's so disheartening, dis- disillusioning at times. But I put my focus back on who Jesus is, that I am a follower. Do you know, in the early historical times of Christ, you could say, I'm a f- who do you follow? I follow Apollos. So I follow Paul. I'm a follower. After the historical Jesus, and the, the research I did is so fascinating, they could no longer use that term for anyone else because it just took off like a wildfire, and anyone who was a follower was a follower of Jesus. And so for me, I don't follow one particular church. I think we can get so caught up in, in this one particular type of church and expression of faith and to me, it always comes back down to who Jesus is. And so for the young people that are listening, and for us, that's that's what I get caught up in. Who was Jesus? Jesus is likable. 
he's someone I want to follow. He's, he's the one that revolutionized my heart, my life. And he was integritous. He was honest. He was caring. He was sensitive. He was not governed right by outside forces. He called things out. He challenged too. He, he was, he called out, he challenged. That's right. He was someone worthy to follow. I'm so compelled by your definition that this man the historic person of Jesus Christ, he gave a command and an invitation that required voluntary consent. What is the offense that the enemy is really entrapping this next generation with, right? Mm -hmm. This generation with. Mm -hmm. And it's, he really was a lot more like them than he was a lot of what's happening within the church right now. Right. For me, when I, I think of the passion and why do I still care about the church is because Jesus is preparing his bride for his return, it says. And and who is his bride? His It's the church. Now, we are the church. And it's not just one particular building, one particular denomination. It's the God's people are the church. And so when I think of following... Yeah, he makes his dwelling place in us, huh? In us. So when I think of following Jesus, I think of Jesus who was with the tax collectors and sinners. He was with those who were outcasts in society. Those are when the next generation thinks about who Jesus really was, someone that sat with tax collectors and sinners. I think you can identify with those people because I think most of us identify ourselves as tax collectors, sinners, the the unlovable. We know our sinfulness. We know and, and we also know our friends, and sometimes I think with what the church is shooting arrows at are the things that this next generation, they're saying, I'm not going to shoot an arrow, and I'm not convinced Jesus would shoot an arrow. I think Jesus would turn the, the, the tables over in the temple and say, this, this doesn't honor me. This isn't what I want. And I think that's why younger people are saying, I don't want this either, and would And your point, yeah, and your point is the things that many young people feel disenfranchised by or with Mm -hmm. are the very things that, in many cases, angered Jesus. Angered. They angered Jesus. They they and so I like to encourage people to read the the book of John and just just discover who Jesus is. Just even listen to it. There's a great app, the Bible app. You like you can listen to the scriptures and just listen for who Jesus is, what he said, and the things that he cared about, what he was passionate about, and who he was challenging. He was always challenging the religious. And so if he was here today, I, I've often thought in some of our gatherings at different churches I've worked at, is would Jesus be here uh, or would he be out? with what we would call the tax collectors and sinners? Would he even visit us and in our gathering? And have we become too self-righteous in much of what we do? And so I think this next generation, they need to, to be invited into a relationship with him. Maybe because they need a different framework of who he was and what he called us to and what he came here for and what right. he did and what he invited us to. Right. And sometimes that is not well represented by our institutions of faith. Right. Yeah. Because again, back to the program, and we're counting numbers and we're trying to 
just support the things and programs that we're doing that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. the vine work, yeah. the deep soul. Going back to being authentic as a leader and being transparent, you faced some challenges yourself mm-hmm. and you and your wife both came clean with those and one of them was dealing with postpartum depression not once but multiple times right and navigating the discussion about meds and drugs and all that and, and the other thing i think was the institution of the church versus the heart of the church and you having to come clean with that right and the phrase that you used really struck me And that is, I can't hide this, when the depression and some of the other challenges began to emerge. Wow, what am I going to do? I can't hide this. Were you challenged by that thought, or were you terrified by the thought? Well, I had a wrong notion of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, especially a leader in the church. I had a sense that I had to have it all together. And if your wife is at a mental hospital, you don't have it all together. You have it far from all together and you have to deal with your shortcomings. And so I was so frustrated with our own inability to live the life that I thought was necessary to be a leader in the church that I was ready to quit several times. I'm like, I have to tap out. I can't do this. And it was... People because coming you didn't time. fit the mold, right? I didn't fit the mold that I imagined that wasn't realistic. And that's where that challenge for myself, I'm, we're going to be vulnerable and honest and we're going to be transparent no matter, and we're going to let the chips fall where they may because I'd rather be honest and not fake. I don't want to be fake. I want to be real. But here's, here's the fallacy. This idea of, and, and again, for those of you listening, not familiar in seminary, there was a sense that, there was a cup and I needed to be so spiritually in tune with the Lord that there's this pitcher of water pouring into my cup of life, as it were, that it's overflowing with water. And it's like you as a leader should always have this overflow and that's the way you'll serve people. That's a, that's wrong. It just doesn't work because then there's a lot of effort on myself to be perfect. And those listening, you can feel that pressure of like always feeling like you have to have it all together and have the right answers, whatever the situation might be. Well, sometimes it can feel like times a, a thousand within the church because you're a pastor, you're supposed to be a Bible answer man, you're supposed to have all these things figured out in your life. Well, take that same cup and and take the bottom out of that cup. And for me, realizing that's more of how I want to serve people. I want to be a conduit. That's what we're called to. Yeah. Totally. Right? A conduit Mm -hmm. of God's power. He has the answer. I want to lead people to the Lord to discover truth. That's where they grow the most. That's where they find, again, you're often just helping them come to the realizations of their past traumas and their past realities, and you're unlocking these things. And most of the times they come to these conclusions just because they're giving themselves the space to do it. And with the professional guide, that you can bring them to those places where they, they can be honest with themselves. Yeah, and I think it's a reasonable and it's a human guide. And I don't think it requires degrees and professionalism. It requires sure. understanding that all of us are dealing with the same things, facing the same things in different measure for sure. Right. 
But it's when we understand, I like the bottom falling out. Let the bottom fall out and finally become that conduit, become the hose, because it is refreshing and it is life-giving when you don't have to contain anything because it's a power, a force, an authority, something so outside of you that until you have the strength and courage to surrender to it, trust it and encourage it, that it will fully revive and encourage and sustain you in ways that words, there's no words to express the value of that. Well, and and this is deep, so stay with me on this. When you help somebody and you're a conduit, a, a conduit could be a pipe that moves water through it. Well, you know what else moves water through it is a tree. A tree moves water through it. That's true. The, the pipe gets no benefit from moving water through it. It just is a conduit. A tree benefits from the water. And so think of this dynamic of, you know, spiritually guiding people towards health. We have that opportunity and we're letting the benefit of God's transformation in our lives. So, so this is why I would go through all the challenges again and all the hardships because of how we've been ministered to, how we've grown ourselves personally and how our marriage has strengthened through the adversities that really brought us closer together than ever before. And then it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, it's the comfort that you have received from the Lord is the very comfort that you are to give to others. And I would say in a nutshell, that's what my wife and I are all about. It's we, we have been on the mat, and maybe you're listening and you're on the mat, and you just need people to love you. We've had people love us and care for us and say, you're going to be okay. In my worst of times, a friend of mine say, hey, Jeremy, it's not always going to be like this. And there's help and there's hope and there's strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And, and we're with you. You're not alone. And then have you gone here? Have you gone there? Here, here. Let, let's have get you, you considered access. This yeah, let's, let's get you access to the, the help to get you to health. And then being allowed to heal. One of the greatest gifts I had was one of the senior leaders I worked with would say, hey, Jeremy, you're okay here. So here's the senior leader saying, you're okay here. You can struggle. It's okay to not be okay. And, and a lot of See, times that's, that's not. that's the message I think we need to spread. Right. So come into this place of rest. Right. Let me help you reconcile the conflict between your spirit, your soul, your body. And I'm uniquely equipped. That's what I hear you saying, right. Jeremy. I'm uniquely equipped to help you because not only am I just as broken as you are, but I've been where you're at. I felt the anger. I felt the pain. I felt disenfranchised mm-hmm. in the same way. I felt lonely. Mm-hmm. I felt sad. I felt like trash. Right. I felt like I didn't know how I was going to get out of bed. This isn't unique to you, but the church can rise up mm-hmm. and this does not have to be the, our darkest hour. It can be our finest moment if we can humble ourselves and realize the mess we're in and the brokenness that our kids are experiencing right. is largely from our own neglect, yep. perhaps ignorance. Yep. Perhaps we were caught up in the whole program system, in the whole community which is a conversation I want, I'd like to have with you before we finish. But I think that was so good and important because I think that is the hope of healing mm-hmm. for this next generation. Mm-hmm. 
and to invite them back to the church that the country club mm-hmm. is being revamped right. to become a hospital. Right. And there's healing there. Yeah. Now, in the next segment, I'd like everyone to know a little bit about what you do, okay. why you do it, how you do it, and that these aren't just words, that there is transformative work taking place mm-hmm. all over this country that is, in fact, geared, directed, structured, orchestrated to heal the hemorrhaging heart of our churches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you would like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.